Sermons from FBC Athens. Welcome to the weekly podcast of the sermons from Sunday Worship at First Baptist Church of Athens, Georgia. The title for the sermon from Sunday, November the 26th is Raining from a Tree and is given by Matt Marston, Senior Minister at First Baptist. The scripture text is Isaiah 53, verses 1 through 11. Listen closely to the Word of God. Who has believed what we have heard? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by others, a man of suffering and acquainted with infirmity. And as one from whom others hid their faces, he was despised, and we held him of no account. Surely he has borne our infirmities and carried our diseases. Yet we accounted him stricken, struck down by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the punishment that made us whole, and by his bruises we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have all turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By a perversion of justice he was taken away. Who could have imagined his future? For he was cut off from the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. They made his grave with the wicked and his tomb with the rich, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him with pain. When you make his life an offering for sin, He shall see his offspring and shall prolong his days. Through him the will of the Lord shall prosper. Out of his anguish he shall see light. He shall find satisfaction through his knowledge. The righteous one, my servant, shall make many righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. This is the word of the Lord. In the year 2000, I was in high school and an animated film came out. And even though I was in high school, I went to see it. The Emperor's New Groove. So we put on our polo shirts that came down to here and jean shorts that went mid-calf. A lot of material back then and went and saw David Spade's finest animated film. He was Cusco, he played. The Emperor and the Emperor's New Groove. And at the beginning, the Emperor is 
like any of us would be if we were 18 and had unlimited power. He was arrogant. He was selfish. He made people afraid he would send them out this kind of contraption if he didn't like them. People quaked in fear in front of the king, the emperor. And he had this plan. I can't forget about Cuscotopia. Are you disappointed by this illustration? Hang in there. It's almost over. <laughs> You're not as disappointed as I am. Uh, <laughs> he was going to build, Cusco wants to build a summer home on the top of this beautiful mountain. The only problem, there's a village there, including John Goodman and his family. <laughs> and he doesn't care. Cusco's going to tear down the village and build his dream home. Until, by an accident, he is turned into a llama. He's a talking llama. And he's no longer the emperor. And he goes through a series of adventures and eventually is turned back into the emperor. Only this time, he's a little more compassionate. He's now friends with the peasants. He can stand to be in their presence and he builds his vacation home on a different mountain. The emperor got his groove back. What is the point of that? Well, it's Christ the King Sunday. The reign of Christ. And in a lot of early Christian art, especially after like 313, Jesus is represented as an emperor in imperial clothing. He looks powerful. There are icons, Christ Pantocrator, Christ Omnipotent. That reminded me of Cusco. But Jesus is not just the emperor, is he? He is also the Lamb of God, the Lamb of Isaiah 53. In Revelation, when Jesus appears in the heavenly throne room, he appears as a lamb having been slaughtered. A lamb's not a llama, but it's still an animal with fur. <laughs> Jesus is the king who reigns from a tree. He is the king whose throne is the cross, who wears a crown but a crown of thorns. Why was Jesus the king who's a lamb? Why did he suffer so? Cusco suffered by becoming a llama by an accident. Was it an accident for Jesus to be crucified? There's part of us that says no, but then part of us really wonders. Did you hear verse 11? It was the will of the Lord to crush him with pain. Now that can make us a little nervous. It was God's will that Jesus suffer so horribly? What does that say about God? Doesn't God want us 
to be happy the way any parent would want their child? What would you say about a parent who crushes a child with pain? Be terrible. Because of that, sometimes some flavors of Christianity have gotten nervous about the cross, and we've kind of made it into an accident that we only talk about once a year. And on Good Friday when people don't come to church. (laughs) Which is why I wanted to read this text today because this is the text in the Old Testament that the early church used to understand Jesus and it doesn't show up in the cycle of readings that a lot of Protestants and Catholics follow once a year. So I wanted to do it today to get this tension of the king who's a lamb. Why did Jesus become the lamb who is stricken and bruised and afflicted with pain? Was it so that God could then be happy with us? That's the answer we sometimes get. God has to punish sin so that God can be happy and God's justice can be satisfied. And we don't want to be punished, so it's a good thing that God let Jesus take the beating. Sometimes that's actually the explanation and those very words used for Jesus on the cross. Is that what's happening? So that God could be happy with us? But what if, isn't God loving and forgiving and long-suffering and patient? And doesn't God's mercy endure forever? Do you see the tension here? We should feel it that this king, the one who is beloved, is then also the one who faced affliction. How do we put those together? And I'd like to suggest it's not, there I go again, Emily pointed out to me the other day that I say I'd like to suggest And I didn't know I said that until she told me. Did you know I said that? Apparently I do, and I did it again. Emily's right. Ah. Why does Jesus face this suffering? It's not, I don't think, to get God to like us or to get us on God's good side. I think it's so that we, we can be reconciled to God and won't run away in shame. What Jesus endures is that separation from God, that loneliness and lostness, not so that God could then be happy, but so that he could bring us back, so that that darkness, that pain, that lostness, could be faced, and reconciliation can happen. Now, those are big words, but here, here's what it, I think, kind of feels like. Have you ever been having a conversation with a friend, with a parent, with a child, with maybe not a spouse, but a girlfriend, and as, or boyfriend, and as you're speaking you know the relationship is between you, the space between you is growing. I have felt 
the darkness grow, a chasm open up, an earthquake form a canyon between you, you can feel it. Or you maybe feel it like driving home, thinking about it. And you wonder, words said that cannot be unsaid. And you wonder, can that chasm ever be bridged? Can that darkness ever be faced? That, you know, that you said that one true thing that was not allowed to be said in the family. And it was said, and you wonder, can we ever come back? I think that's like the distance, the darkness, the emptiness between us and God, humanity left on our own and God. I mean, the the pain of even the space between people who were friends is, we don't even know what to do with it. How do you deal with it? How do you heal that? How do you come back from that? And a lot of times, if we come back from it, it's just kind of superficially. It's just kind of fake. I've got a friend like this. We were once really close, and then I said a lot of things that I shouldn't have said, and losing my temper, and we're kind of friends again, but not really. We're friendly. We can be together. I'm talking about me and Frank. (laughs) Just kidding. I'm on good behavior at church, I'd like to suggest. (laughs) But it's not real. It's not what it once was. That's the kind of gap, the kind of darkness, the kind of distance between us and God. Our sinfulness, the sin of the world, is all those places where we have run away, where we hide, where we have inflicted pain on others to make ourselves feel better. It's all the darkness that we, we have accumulated that is now set between us and God. And the problem is not on God's side. The problem is on our side. But we don't know what to do with that darkness. We don't know what to do about that gap. We don't know what to do with that alienation, that loneliness. Jesus comes to face all of that, to bring light into that darkness, to bring love and understanding in the place of bewilderment that place with no words, that place of pain between us and between us and God. So Jesus is not afflicted to satisfy God's angry temper. That's dangerous. Jesus is afflicted and crushed because God wanted him to bear the weight of love to bear that burden, to create a handhold, a bridge, a connection, a possibility of reconnection between humanity and God so that we wouldn't run away, so that we wouldn't turn our back, so that we would not quake with so much fear that we could not face the one who reigns, 
the Lord who is Lord, the one who is judge, the one who gets the final say. I think that's the real dangerous possibility. It's not that God's going to be so mad at us. It's that we will be stuck in sin and shame and will never turn back to God. I think that's the danger. That was the inevitability. If it wasn't for Jesus, who is the shepherd who came as a sheep, if he wasn't the king who reigned from a tree, if he wasn't the king whose throne was a cross, it was the will of the Lord to crush Jesus with pain, not to satisfy the Lord, but for that pain, for that darkness, for that terrible truth to be told and faced and overcome. This is also where the doctrine of the Trinity comes into play. Stay awake! The Lord and Jesus, we can sometimes make it seem like they're two different things. It's one of the questions my uh, kids had when they were little was, why did God not help Jesus? You know, why did God, if God is loving and all-powerful, why would God not help Jesus, who is his son? The question they're thinking, would you help me? Would you be there for me when I'm lost in darkness? Would, would you want that for me? It's, it's scary because we're asking about the character of God. But remember, Jesus says, I and the Father are one. The Father and Jesus are not separate. They are one in the unity of the Spirit. They are one in the bond of love that God is. So when Jesus is afflicted with pain, the heart of the Father, the heart of the Lord is afflicted as well. Jesus dying and suffering did not happen separate from God, but all that pain and darkness is taken into the life of God so that we are never separate from God again. It means the lowest place that we can go, the darkest dark we can find, is still a place where God finds us. And it means it's Gerald Wright said so beautifully a couple of weeks ago when I talked to him. He said, when we lose our grip on God, God doesn't lose God's grip on us. God holds us fast. God keeps us and promises to be with us, which makes Jesus like a totally different king than Cusco, if that wasn't obvious at this point. It means that Jesus is a king who expends all his power and all his energy not to do what he wants selfishly, but to do what we can't do for ourselves, pour out grace and mercy. It means that he is the king who reigns from a tree, and his kingdom is a kingdom 
of humble, merciful love. What does that mean for us practically? I think it means at least this, at least means this one thing, that we don't have to be afraid of the dark. We don't have to be afraid of the king. We don't have to be afraid of the truth anymore. We're all afraid of some truth, aren't we? We're all afraid of some bit of darkness, some gap in our memory, some unspeakable thing that we look over because we're afraid if we faced it, that would be it for us. And we may even be afraid of what it means for us. But whatever that darkness is, we can trust, you can trust that God is already there. That light shines in the darkness. That God does God's best work in that place where we would tend to run from. That's the hope of God's kingdom. That it's growing and moving all in our lives and in the world. It's hidden to be sure. But it will be revealed. Because we know that the Lamb of God has taken away the sin of the world. God has overcome the gap. We can take a breath and trust and rejoice. Amen. Thank you for listening to the sermons from FBC Athens. Join us for worship in person or our live stream Sunday mornings at 11 a.m. God's grace and peace be with you today, tomorrow, and always.